to the FWP Podcast, where we put socially responsible, ethical, and astute business leaders in the spotlight to help you and I become the best Augustinian business managers we could ever be. Our environment plays a large role in providing us with opportunities, as well as nurturing us with its plentiful resources. Because of this, many businesses have taken this abundance for granted and lost focus on the source of our many bountiful blessings. Joining us today is Mrs. Irene Mehet, who made it the focus of her business to help propagate and sustain the nature around us. Having experiences in the pharmaceutical sector, Mrs. Meher was exposed to marketing and collaborative strategies. Along with that, she has not consumed plastic bottles in four years, which helped her become more well-equipped during the start of the business. How have your pre-EcoShift experience prepared you to launch your business in 2018? Okay, so uh, thank you, Jin, for introducing me and thank you for inviting me to this podcast. So to answer your question, previously I worked for a pharmaceutical company. I've been with the industry for 18 years before I transitioned into um, entrepreneurship. So I was a sales and marketer by profession. So I had really good foundation in terms of sales and marketing. And so I was exposed to business as well in that sense that we're in you, how to acquire people to buy your products. My um, sustainability or plastic-free journey started during the times, the last few years of my pharmaceutical sales and marketing experience because it was when we, we do field work. You know, you go to the field, you converse with clients. So I used to travel all over the country. And then when I do that, I used to buy a lot of plastic bottles, you know, the water bottles, because I have to hydrate myself. And then I realized that I have been using a lot of these bottles along the way. And so I wanted to limit the bottle use that I consume, probably mostly because I was like already aware of the impact of plastic in the environment. Because as a family, we also love going to the beach, you know, swimming. I'm sure you do you do this stuff, like you go to the beach. And the oceans right now and the oceans before are different, you know. The seas are different. They're much cleaner before. So I noticed that when you go like to these areas that are not really touristy spots, you would get to see all these sachets floating around. So I wanted to just try to impact change on my own little way. Um, I know that it's probably not gonna be able to change the world but I would like to try so that's when I started so I started to just stop buying plastic bottles or water bottles so I stopped buying those and I haven't bought any for the past four years and then I slowly transitioned into okay after stopping um, the bottled water use I wanted to shift to my personal care products like my shampoo and conditioner so that's how it started. Mrs. Meher related to the quote You may never reach zero waste, but you can take action. She shares that this was her way of combating waste and closes by saying that any form of effort is welcome. Second of all, but what is your interpretation of the quote, we may never reach zero in zero waste, but that's no reason to take zero action. Thanks for that. Yes, for me, I actually agree on that quote. We will never be able to reach zero in zero ways because every day as we go through the process of living and you know, because we want to be comfortable, we always end up having waste, you know, waste products. I think the, the important thing here is you try to actually minimize 
So in terms of um, zero waste lifestyle, the number one rule, embracing this lifestyle, the number one rule is always the refuse. You know, stop buying things you don't need. If you don't need these things, you don't end up like throwing them in the bin, right? So that's the real, the real actually step. It's not actually recycling, but it's refusing. So always remember, like when you go to the mall with your parents or when you're already starting working, try not to buy stuff that you don't actually need. Also, in the in this regard, you would also be able to actually save a lot of money. You know, because of all the trinkets that you're buying, at the end of the day, you realize, hey, I don't actually need this because I have this already. Second would be to reuse. I don't know if you're familiar about the reuse movement. These are like, in terms of fashion, remember there is a movement now that you can wear the those stuff that you wore before because now with the young people you know because of the instagram uh, social media you don't want to repeat the clothes that you've worn before but now there's a movement that it's actually okay that we have to make it the norm that it's okay to wear clothes that you have worn before or you can also donate these clothes not just to throw them away because other people would actually be able to use it the second, the third one would be what refuse, reuse, and then that's when you do the the recycling. So, yes, you can never really go into zero waste, but it's important that we understand that even if you would be able to do it perfectly, the imperfect way is is okay. You know, because even if just you skipping buying the bottled water or skipping the straw and there's so many of you that's already a huge impact so don't be discouraged if you won't be able to do it perfectly because we have to do it imperfectly imperfect something like that so as long as there's a lot of us we'd be able to create a huge impact already many businesses are similar to each other but there are ways that they can do their objectives in order to be different Mrs. Meher said that it is important that these businesses have unique approaches and similar goals to gain impact and care more about the environment. Did any other business with a similar motive inspire you to set up your own eco-friendly business? Thank you, Jasmine. Oh yes, in terms of inspiration, there's a lot because um, I'm not like the first one who did this. There's so many. It just seems that in the Philippines, I'm the one who's more aggressive in driving the message. But there were some uh, international brands that I follow and there were like some sort of inspiration for me to do it. There's a brand, uh, it's an Australian, it's not Australian, it's a New Zealand brand. And they've gone actually global. They've been at it for almost 10 years. So I tried to model my business with them. But maybe I can, you can like Google it. The, the, the company is called Ethic. So it's a brand, uh, it's a sustainable brand from New Zealand. So I follow Brian is the CEO. I follow her and I try to model the business as well. There's also a combination of, if you're familiar with um, Sarah Blakely, um, she's the CEO of Skanks, but I know she sold her company now. And of course, um, the greatest, I, it's such a cliche, but Steve Jobs is a really great impact on me because, you know, Steve Jobs is not really, he's, a, he's an innovator and he's like a lot of lessons that he has managed to share. So these are like the people I look up to and I try to model what they do with what I do. For locally naman, yeah, I think there are a lot of local brands. And I, when I started, 
So the goal for me then was, okay, if I would do this, and then I also encourage like uh, other local entrepreneurs to actually come up with sustainable products because the more of us are there, the more it is for us to be able to reach more people. So it's important that there's a lot of you making the noise and making people be aware that there is that there are options available. Like you, for example, you would know that there's an option to a shampoo bottle, there's shampoo bar, there's a plastic-free option to shaving soap, something like that, plastic-free option to deodorants that are equally effective and that are affordable. So that's the important thing here. Filipinos tend to buy products in small quantities, which can be a big problem since these are usually packed into plastic packets. Aside from this, the lack of awareness is one of the reasons that made it difficult to start a proactively environment-friendly business. What factors in the Philippine environment made it difficult or easy to start a proactively environment-friendly business? Okay, there are like two factors. One that can make it really difficult is the lack of awareness that we have a major plastic problem. Actually, it's not of the lack of awareness, it's more of the mindfulness. You know, we're not just being mindful because technically that's just not how, how we work culturally. Second would be um, we're so into the dingy culture. You know, we buy things in small sizes. So that's the one that's a major contributor into our plastic waste. So that's a big challenge. And that's something it's in terms of um, changing behaviors. That's like really a tough, um, tough challenge to, to maneuver. In terms of how it easy it is to set up a business, relatively because of technology, it's quite easy now to set up a business. You just make a Facebook page, put it on Instagram, or do something on TikTok, and people would probably notice you. If you if you do viral stuff like that, you probably get noticed. So it's easier for you to set up a business. It's just a matter of being able to sustain it. Some, once they have started a business and then they would not see the results, you know, because the goals that they have set for themselves are really quite high. Like, for example, if I start a business now, like a launch of brand today, I wanted by next week, I'd be able to sell a million pesos. That's like not realistic, right? So if you set unrealistic goals for your business, you probably not want to do it anymore because the goals are so unrealistic. But if you set it in such a way that one one person at a time every week you would be able to tap one person at a time you'd be able to sustain the business you know you'd be able to move forward and it's also important to really ask yourself why i am doing this why 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 what's what's my motivation is it because of the money is it because of fame or is it because of something like a far greater purpose from production to shipping they ensure that they use the least amounts of plastic they find producers whose production process aligns with their values. The plastic produced in this process is sent to organizations that repurpose plastic. Are the manufacturing processes between you and some of your less environmental-friendly competitors, how do these processes differ from one another? In terms of uh, manufacturing, we, ha we have to choose partners who value doing these things that are plastic-free as well. It's kind of a little bit tricky on that part because in terms of the suppliers, it's really difficult to say, to impose on stuff like, you know, with your manufacturing partner that, hey, I want everything to be plastic-free because that's not doable. So what we do is we have a um, recycling partner 
if you're familiar, it's called the Pink Flamingo. They've been a partner in terms of all those materials that we cannot actually recycle. So what they do is for plastic uh, residuals, the plastic waste that we have, they turn this into uh, plastic wood. You know, that's so something that they can make chairs of. So this one is um, it's important because I am assured that all the materials that the material waste, the plastic waste that are being used during the manufacturing process is disposed of properly. And it, it does not end in the oceans, it's being recycled. In our fulfillment area as well, my staff are trained to segregate properly. Plastic bottles, uh, are the plastic waste, they're given to fill off. And then the paper waste are also segregate, segregated. We also use the trash bin that we use are also made from cassava. So in case it ends up uh, in landfills, it degrades like in three months time, and like the usual plastic. And then because we offer uh, home care refills for customers, like if you wanted to purchase home care, like laundry, dishwashing, and um, fabric conditioner, all these things, they come, they come in a one liter or one gallon containers. So we have a swap and refill program wherein if they buy from us, we can collect all the bottles that they have at home. So it's like we're like a collection point. And in return, these bottles, we give them to the recycling partner. So just to make sure that it doesn't end, this plastic waste doesn't end in landfills and our oceans. It's also important to note that uh, the brand is really more on plastic free. So we cannot claim that everything else is um, we're, we're green, 100% green, because I don't want to greenwash people. But we are how 100% committed on delivering a plastic-free product. That's why from manufacturing, you know, we segregate. If it cannot be helped that there is plastic, we give it to our recycling partner. And from our shipping, we use the cassava cassava bags. These are, as mentioned, compostable bags. Or we put our products in cardboard boxes as much as possible so there's really no plastic including the tape the plastic tape we use the paper tape if you're familiar with that craft tape even if it ends up more expensive we just try to shoulder this one because all for uh, plastic free because we need to make sure that we actually imbibe what we stand for it's very important for me that we do this with integrity otherwise what's the use of us it's like we're enabling plastic use so it's a bit tough because you know with your people of course they have their own habits it's a matter of integrating and driving the message because even at home in terms of segregating it's kind of tough we do our segregation but you still end up with the plastic waste so we uh we have all uh, all the licenses in place, we are FDA approved. So we just try to make it uh, as sustainable as possible based on what we can do. From the company itself to its customers, they pack their orders in plastic alternatives, such as cassava and craft tapes, instead of plastic parcels and bubble wrap that other shops normally use. For the next question, what practices in your industry? Did your business make sure to avoid from a sustainable point of view? Okay, so remember we're an online business. So if you're an online business, you use like Shopee, Lazada, and all these couriers that they use plastic pouches for shipping, right? Okay? So 
So that's something that we do not do. From the start, when I started, I have even if when I was only selling like twenty parcels a week, you know, like I have managed to tap like riders who would pick up parcels from me, and I have to meticulously box my products, wherein we don't use the pouches. So eventually, um, when business was good, orders came in increasingly at a steady pace. I have managed to hire my own drivers, riders. So this way, I don't have to course through the traditional routes of the courier services wherein they have to use the plastic pouches. For provincial shipping, I work with only one courier, which is LBC, because they're the only ones who, who allowed me to ship my items in boxes and gave me a good rate. Although now, um, Shopee and Lazada also allowed me to box my items so I don't have to use the plastic pouches anymore. But now, we have the use of cassava bags. So I use this as well to put the bags in. So the good thing about cassava bags is it decomposes like in as early as 90 days. So I don't have to worry about it. So that's the practice that I wish all the other online sellers would do because it's not really the amount of plastic that are being churned from the shipping. The courier companies are like tremendous. And I actually wish that these shipping companies would also just you know, shift to or resort to cassava bags instead of these plastic pouches. Yeah, that's really sad. But I hope things will get better soon. The EcoShift's triple bottom line of planet, people, and profit is what the brand is founded on. Since this has also been the goal since the very beginning of the business, it was not an issue. Their plans and activities are always analyzed, making sure it aligns with these values. How did your company achieve the balance of a triple bottom line, which essentially means balancing the aspects of planet, people, and profit? Actually, the company has always been, or the brand has always been founded on it. You know, we did not work backwards. What we did is, this is our goal, so that's where, because right now, most existing companies, is they're working, um, they're trying to do that, the triple bottom line, right? Because they've already been uh, in business for a long while before we were made aware of, hey, you can actually make profit without sacrificing all these things. So us, from the start, the goal has always been that one. So when we made, when I made it, it was always, I will be profitable it's for the planet and then I'll be able to help people and then it will be profitable. So all these three things since day one has always been there already. So it was not an issue. That's why um, it's really important that the plastic-free aspect, even if I wanted to launch products that I know would really sell, I haven't done it yet because there's always that issue with packaging, how I'm going to package the product. It has to be true to our aim, which is plastic-free. And then it has to be true to protecting or helping limit plastic use. And then, of course, you know, as if you're profitable, you would be able to help people anyway. Because you're profitable, you have the capacity to hire more people, give better job opportunities, and actually do some charity work. So it, it follows. So that's the beauty of this one. Because from the start, it's already triple bottom line. In the workplace, their staff is trained to segregate trash. Mrs. Meher says that they may not control their actions at home, but she believes that this may influence their personal lives eventually. 
what does the business do internally to ensure that its employees are also proactive in their actions towards being environmentally friendly? Okay, as um, for the employees, it's kind of really that's like you know a challenge because what they do at home and what they do at work it has to be aligned. So we do trainings. I only have few employees, but we do, and they're all of them are women, by the way. So we do um, trainings. Like sometimes we have an activity on which trash, which bin to put your trash. You know, the segregating, segregating trash because you don't know where to put if if one is recyclable, one is residual waste, or if one is paper. Um, so we have stuff like that, and the message has always been driven that hey, you have to re- you have to recycle, you have to recycle because the rest, like the products, they're already in there, so they can't do anything about it anymore, you know, because it's there. You have the pack and stuff like that. But for the recycling, that's where the education comes in. I do believe that once they get used to being able to segregate their trash here in their workplace, they would it would trickle down to their personal lives as well in their homes. So that's a big step. I have to be really honest, it's a little bit tough because you know, these are people you don't get to control of. It's just a matter of trying to, to influence them. But the most important thing is like in the office, they know how to segregate and they know where to, to, to put the trash. Speaking of home, her experience in motherhood has influenced the business, influencing her daughters on the perspective of a business that does not put the environment at risk. And moving on to the next question, how has being a single mother with two daughters affected your business mission and vision? Okay, so that one, because you know, when you raise like young children like you, you're very impressionable. You know, I wanted to be a good role model for my children. So, and I wanted to show them that, hey, even just a single thing that you do, you would be able to impact or change the world. So I just wanted them to be good human beings, you know, to be able to take care of the planet, to be able to take care of themselves. I really wanted to drive the message that, hey, you can make a profit without actually sacrificing your environment. You know, you can do good things by not ruining another another environment, if you mean. So it's, it's the same with business, you know, you can be successful without stepping on anyone. You can be successful in your own right, you can do change things and you can actually act on it. And you can make an impact even if you feel like you're only one person. And I think this is important, especially for you young people. Don't be discouraged. If you have something like a goal in mind and you feel that it's something that everyone in it has value, you have to fight for it because that one thing that you are doing will effectively have an impact in our future. Also, this movement, like the plastic free movement, this actually affects you more than anything else in this world because it's like in 30 years, there will be more plastic than fish in the ocean. So, you know, you will be the receiving end of this, of this plastic problem that we have. So since you are the same age as my daughters, this benefits your generation at most and the generation after you. The eco-shift measures its sustainability based on the impact they make on the environment. What key performance indicators that your company sets to ensure that it is sustainable? In terms of in terms of KPI, we only measure on the impact. Like, uh, for example, I'll just give you an example: one shampoo bar is equivalent to two and a half plastic bottles already. So. We measure that on the impact that we we generate because um, 
called the receptor term, but I forgot. But um, in terms of the environment impact, so it's important. That's the only measure that the the only key performance indicator that technically I measure. But of course, on the business side, I also measure profits. Now, if we are able to sustain, but because this um, business is not really for profit, you know, it's not like the main the main goal here is to actually. Um, limit plastic use so it comes in second in terms of the KPIs but of course since this is a business it's important for it to be profitable so we can sustain you know we can move forward with all the plans that we have and we can scale because right now it's just like still small so hopefully we'd be able to reach more people just like every other business there was a risk in market interest Mrs. Meher also had to make sure that her integrity was in place. This is because suppliers may claim to be environmentally friendly, but their product may suggest otherwise. Integrity is everything. What were the risks and losses that you experienced with starting a proactively environmentally friendly business book? Okay, so for the risk, um, the risk is always what if no one's gonna buy your product? <laughs> That's always the risk, right? Okay, you know because it's it's like any other business. It's not having a sustainable business and having a regular business. These are all the same. It's like business. So it's just that the path that you took is different and it's new. So, but the product, it's always it's always about the product. You know, people buy the product that you offer. Of course, right now it's a little bit moving different because it's the value of what the product offering. Enhancing lives. So, in terms of the risk, that's always the risk. You know, what if people will not buy? But the thing is, if the people would actually buy the value of what your product stands for, so that's already a buy-in. The second one would be the risk of like, because there's so few who are practicing sustainability. There is this: if your suppliers are lying and they would create claims that are not there. On my first few months, actually. Those are the things that I have encountered. You know, they would say, "Oh, these are like cruelty free, these are super free." But then, when you have it checked, it's not actually the case. And those are like the risk. So that's why you have to do due diligence and actually check if the claims are true. Because otherwise, you as the front, you know, you're the front person in your fight for um, for sustainability or for plastic free and uh, our natural products. You would come out as being inauthentic because you're just greenwashing people, and when in fact it's not. So for the losses, well, there's a lot of um, what do you call it? scammers that would just like order and then not get get the product. So that's a loss when they order and then when it delivers, they wouldn't accept it or they would say because we deliver cash and delivery and they're they're not there. It's just um. That's some sort of loss already because you have to pay for the shipping. The products cannot cannot be used anymore. But these are like part and parcel of doing business. So it's only a matter of um, trying to mitigate these losses. Like very, you should really need to just be on top of all these things. That way, it's going to be mitigated. So sabing a you know no business does not have any risk. So it's just a matter of outweighing the risk over the benefits. So for this one, I can actually say it's actually a good um, business as long as you know 
how to be true to your customers. She is proud to have started and operated the EcoShift, especially when she is presented with the opportunity to educate a younger audience and when she receives good reviews from her customers. What moments in business make you happy and proud to run the EcoShift? Okay, makes me happy. Okay, I'm so mababaw. Anyway, for like for example, stuff like this, you know, it's nice to talk to young people. Actually, made it a goal. Like every time, like I have a lot of talks that involves young people, like students. So I actually make time for this because I believe like this fight is actually for you guys. It's really for you because you're the ones gonna reap the benefits of sustainability and all this stuff in the in the future. So. And for me, it's important that you know how precarious we are, and that and that you know that um, there's actually you can still do something about it because um, it starts with you. Okay, so that's one of the things that makes me happy. The second one would be knowing that my customers, the great reviews from my customers, and then they will say, oh, "I really like your product," and. Uh, It it made my hair so soft because I know that these customers, even if the intention in buying the product was not really about being plastic free, the intention was to get rid of dandruff or to have faster hair growth. But because of they like the product so much, they would end up being able to prevent um, the use and manufacture of plastic bottles. And if there's a lot of them like that, that's like already a lot of uh, plastic bottles that are being prevented. So that makes me happy. And of course, you know, sometimes it's a little bit surreal on my part because just in a matter of three years, we have grown so much. You know, it was just like before who would have thought, you know, who would have thought that it was just like a side hustle. And then now I I have 12 people. I have five Metro Manila riders. I have three stores, you know, and then we have two offices. So you and that's just without taking up any loans from the bank you know, something like that so it's uh, it's something like um it's something that's very uh, interesting <laughs> that makes you actually happy that hey we have managed to grow um the business in a span of three years but of course it also makes you a little bit a little bit anxious you know because uh you have to work harder to be able to reach the goals that you have As of April 2022, the EcoShift has three physical kiosk-type stores. What are your reasons for not opening a physical store? Oh, we do have some physical stores now, Paolo. So we're available in uh, three Ayala malls, like in Trinoma. And uh, we have one in uh, one Bonifacio Global City. And then another one in Ayala Circuit Mall in Mahati. And then we'll be opening in uh, Cebu, okay. But these are not your big physical stores, okay. These are just like small kiosks. Type. This is because Ayala Foundation has their program wherein you don't get to pay rent for a few years, or probably this year because of COVID. Uh, it's not because I don't want to. It was just the timing is a little bit off because you know it's kind of tough to put up. There's no food traffic now because of the pandemic. So hopefully things will be better soon. So now we're, the stores are open. We opened in November, and um, this March we're actually seeing an increase in food traffic. But hopefully, this will improve. Also, having a physical store is, in terms of operating expense on the business side, it will actually increase your opex. 
because you have to pay for rent, you have to pay for people who man the store compared to just having it online. We're in because our because we've been an online store since so our fulfillment is already in place. Everything is in place, and it's easier because the fixed cost is less compared to having plus the inventory that you keep as well. Uh, okay, uh, thank you, Paul. I would like to ask a, a short follow-up question on that. And would you say that it's a worthy investment to have a physical store in comparison to your online store? I cannot answer that yet. I cannot give you a definite answer if it's uh, worthy, but I'm looking at it from a point of view wherein I want my customers to be able, I want to reach more customers and I want it to be easier for my customers because you see, um, with online stores, you're still leaving a lot of carbon footprint. So, you know, the travel, and unlike if you're available near them, it's easier for them. And then you, the accessibility, for example, if you're a customer and you live near, you would be able to buy this, uh, buy our product. So I really, um, I made the decision because from that, um, from that point of view or from that goal, in terms of. So far, I haven't actually recovered the investments that I have made yet in putting up a store because you know you have to pay for the kiosks, you have to pay for manpower. So the ones that is absorb- absorbing this uh, expense is coming from the online store. I think though, in a year's time, it will probably be worth it, but I cannot say if it's definite. But I can say though that the online store is profitable. Mrs. Meher realized that the EcoShift would be successful based on the goals she has set up and their gradual growth, getting closer to achieving these environmental and financial goals. For the next question, with you mentioning the difficult and easy parts to start this business, what moment did you have that made you realize that the EcoShift would be successful? Okay, I have, as mentioned, I have set goals when I started because you have to understand when I first started this is just like some sort of something that I do on the side because I had a I had a job and then I was doing this like from a small corner of my home and so like a year after so I set goals for myself like I there's a specific financial goal that I had in okay if I reach this I would be able I would quit my job and focus on my business so Right now, I cannot say that we are successful because our goal is like in 2025, we would be able to influence a million people to shift to plastic free. So we're still away, a little bit far away from that goal. But for me not to be discouraged, I would look at um, the impact, the environment impact of the brand overall. So I'm relatively happy to share that we have managed to prevent around 720,000 plastic bottles already from being manufactured. So that's already a lot. If you convert that into sachet use, that's already around 7 million sachets, single-use sachets in three years. So I can't say that it's already a success, but if I gauge it on the objectives that we have set forth, we were able to meet all the objectives that we have set forth in the past three years. So hopefully we'll be able to meet our goals in the next few years because that's like really near already 2025. 
Mrs. Mayer leaves a message for students who would like to start an environmentally friendly business. So speaking of that work, what do you think students should keep in mind when starting their business to ensure that it's sustainable or environmentally friendly? Okay, for young students or not students anymore, those just wanted to start their own business and then you wanted it to be sustainable, you're actually on a good path already because the plans that you will make is you will just work around this, right? Because, okay, I wanted to have I wanted to have a business, but I want it to be sustainable. So when you plan, you plan the products that you're going to sell, how you're going to manufacture it, when are you going to deliver it, how, all the hows and the whys, you would be working on that core goal already, the sustainability side. So you don't have to be an expert actually, but you just need to focus on which one though. If you cannot like do it, do everything at once because sustainability being sustainable is just like such a huge ask you can just focus on something like for example okay i don't know think of something like maybe you have a recall for all the products the packaging that you have maybe you want to skip the plastic packaging something like that so as long as you have that goal in mind that i want to have a business and i want it to be sustainable you're already on the right path if a business does good only for itself, then it will not sustain itself. When the business moves for the betterment of the common good, a community will form around it and ensure that its impacts may last a lifetime. When you start your business, do it for your good and the good of others. That has been it for the first season of Funded with Purpose podcast. We presented the experiences of business owners in hopes that you, a budding business person and entrepreneur, may take these stories and use it to propel your business story forward. We will see you next season. Goodbye. This season has been made possible by Riz Polancos, Stella Galicia, Eliza Gonzalez, Jasmine Ongo, Paolo Garcia, Andre Valinova, Malakai Peliciano, Alfonso Palma, and Drew Sagenis. If you like this episode, send the link to five friends who you think would benefit from it. I'm sure they'd love to hear this as well. We are a business community kept together by Unitas, grounded in Veritas, driven by Caritas, and funded with purpose. We hope you're safe and well amidst these crazy times. Till next time, tycoons! <laughs>